0: Hello, this is Brother Simmons, I'm from uh, Leading the Leaders, uh, and throughout the week we have a podcast that's concentrated on leadership, and on Sunday we have one that's concentrated on the Word of God. Uh, Each Sunday we do an hour-long uh, interactive type of uh, Bible study, which means you will hear other voices on the recording besides my own, but we look to explore and options of the Bible um, where all leadership principles uh, are arrived from. Uh, so we want to invite you uh, each Sunday here uh, to join us and have your Bibles with you, and we will open up what the Word of God says so that we have a closer walk with Jesus and have a a more form understanding of the Word of God. So welcome and thank you for listening.
1: We thank, thank God for another day that He's allowed us to come before Him with exceeding joy. And uh, like we said before, we're going to go into Genesis 3 as our main subject area. Um, prior to that time, though, we want to look at uh, questions that we had and see if we can get anything that. And the the purpose behind the questioning is that you use it through the, throughout the week, not the, um, not necessarily how you want to say, okay, I answer the questions or whatever. That's really not the purpose behind it. So, um, let's go to the questions that we have, and let's start there. All right, so now the first question we had was, let me get to it real quick. Okay, so the question is, what is the purpose of God saving someone, okay? So in times past, or in the past, we talked about this before, and one of the things we said was, is that we want to make sure that we just not only understand that God did not save us simply for us to go to heaven. A lot of people are underneath that... um, underneath that concept or in in understanding that hey listen this is what this is about. We we keep trying to we keep trying to go back to that concept but that is really not how God says it is supposed to go. So we want to make sure we understand that when we say what we say, why we're saying what we're saying, that goes back to teaching, not necessarily preaching. A lot of people want to do the preaching stuff, but they don't want to get the information. They don't want to get the knowledge that that comes with it. So when we look at our first question of why did God save us, and we use a lot of passages of Scripture's that we could go to but I'm uh I'm going to go to John 15 and 6 Let's go to John 15:6 real quick Okay, are we there.
2: You said yeah. John? Yeah,
1: John fifteen six. So John 15, chapter.
2: Okay, what does John fifteen six say? He says, if a man abides not in me, he is cast fold as a ban No, 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 no. Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not John 15 and 16. Oh, no, excuse me. John fifteen sixteen. 16. Oh, 16, okay. Yeah, 16. I said 6,
2: I meant 16. Okay, that's says so John the 15. It says, "Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained ye, you that ye shall go and bring forth fruit, and that in and that fruit shall remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he he may give it he may give it you." Okay,
1: so he didn't save us simply so that we can get to heaven, because I keep hearing that all the time. Oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven because I'm saved. According to what Jesus is saying here, first of all, he says, ye have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you, that you should go forth and bring forth fruit. Okay? What is that fruit that he's talking about? Because it's not, that is not, because a lot of people think, that as a Christian, we're in the business of saving others or bringing others to Christ. That actually is not your job.
2: Is the fruit you?
1: The fruit, you could say the fruit is you, but more closely, the fruit, the fruit that you bring forth is your life living. Mm. It's your life living. Because look what it says that you go forth, bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. So that means your life living is consistent with the new life that you have that's wrapped up in Jesus. And then we get confused with the last part of this, that whatsoever you ask, I'll ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to give it you. We get that confused. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with me being able to do what God has called me to do, because He ordained you. When you ordain somebody, it's, you put them into an office or, or a place where they're supposed to do what? They're supposed to serve a certain. They're supposed to serve in a certain capacity. So it doesn't mean that when I come to Jesus and I can tell Jesus all these things that I want, because He's like an ATM, or He's like a bellhop. I ring a bell and He comes running. And then I tell him what I want and he give it to me. That is not fruitful or not at all. And we talked about, it, I think last Sunday or at least two Sundays ago, there would be no growth in that at all. If that's the kind of relationship we have with Christ, there is absolutely no growth and the Bible commands us to grow in grace in the knowledge of God. It don't say that that, that, that is um, optional. That's not what it says. It says that if, you were, if, you in God, if you're in Christ or what have you, then you must grow in grace. Because if you do not grow in grace, then what you're doing is you're actually dying. Okay? We should not forget, though, one of the main things that we're supposed to be doing when we are this new creature in Christ Jesus is that we're supposed to worship God. And you only can worship God in spirit and in truth. Okay? We've got to remember that because we're going to come back to the same concept of the only way that we can uh, worship God is by spirit and truth. we got to remember this because if we don't remember it, some of the concepts that we're going to talk about later on is not going to work. Now I want to go back. We we started, uh, I think, two Sundays ago, and we did "Am I My Brother's Keeper?" and I did one part. We did that when we did a review of Genesis, and then we did a second part. I'm going to do a third part today. Okay, so we're going back and capture something that we've not actually come into Genesis yet, but I'm trying to give you a preview of it because it's very important to understand along with the same concept of God saving us that he didn't save us so that we can then have this great life that we only care about ourselves. Contrary to that, he saved us to help others because we said before, the grade that we're going to get graded against is not if I'm a good person to go around saying, hey, God has done this for me, God has done, no, it's going to be based on how many people that I help see the fruit that's in me, and that should be my life living towards God. How much people have, because of me, allowing Christ to lead my life, the spirit of Christ to lead my life, has led to other people coming to Christ? Because some of us don't have that testimony. Some of us would need a T-shirt that says that we are Christians because there's no other way that somebody could determine that we are by our life living, which is scary because the Bible says we must have a sanctified life. Okay, so am I my brother's keeper part three then? One of the things we should consider when we look at our discussion from Genesis and being our brother's keeper as well as looking into Jesus Christ as our great high priest, remember we talked about that. We said what role did Jesus play now that he's at the right hand of the Father? He's our great high priest. We're not saved to benefit ourselves necessarily but to benefit others. If Christ Jesus is our high priest then we must be the priests also, okay? In order to be a high priest, you got to have priests underneath you. If you go back to Leviticus, it sets all this out. So in in um, Hebrews, when the writer of Hebrews mentioned that he's a high priest, okay, he's not me. He just means symbolically, he means literally. Christ is in the role of the priest, and we are pre he's in the role of the high priest and we're in the role of the priest okay now let's go to if you don't believe me go to go to peter first peter 2 and 9 go to first peter 2 and 9 let me know when you're there first peter 2 and 9 There. Okay,
2: what does it say? It says, that ye are chosen a generation, generation a royal priesthood, an holy, and holy nation, a particular people, that ye shall stew forth the praises of him who had pulled you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay,
1: so now, we want to analyze this just a tad bit to understand a little bit more about what it means to be your brother's keeper, okay? We said before on previous Sundays that Jesus is our high priest. We're in the, pri- we're in the priestly role. The role of the priest is to go to God for other people, okay? But you're also supposed to do what? You're supposed to offer up sacrifices to God as a priest. That's why in Romans it talks about we're supposed to have our body supposed to be a living sacrifice. Okay, that talks about the fruit that he's singing that you're going to bring forth. Okay, so you cannot offer God sacrifices if you're dirty, if you're unclean. Okay, you can't do it. One of the things you remember back in Leviticus when we studied the tabernacle, you had to have, there was a basin there that you had to wash your hands and your feet before you could go into the place, the holy place, and only the priest was allowed to go into these places. It wasn't designed for the other people to come into that. That's why the the, the when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was rent, because now we have access to the holy place. But the reason why is because we're 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 a nation of priests now, okay, and that is the church is what they're talking about now. Because remember, the original idea that God had for the, for the, for the Jews, the Israelites, was there was supposed to be a, a nation of priests on this earth. That's what his original intent was. But when they sinned, he only picked one tribe. The tribe of Levi was the priestly tribe, but that was never God's intent. So now that we're here, we are actually the priests on this world for God. The church, the people that are called out, most people do not believe that they're going to be graded or judged as if they're priests, but you are, according to this. Now, look what it says, but ye are a chosen generation. So right now, did you guys know that right now the Jews is not the chosen people of God? The church churches. Because the Jews don't believe in Jesus. The ones who do believe in Jesus, they're in the church. So the church presently, in the Old, genera- in the old Testament, the Jews, in particular the, the, uh, the, 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 the tribe of Levi, was the priest on the earth. Because God is always going to have a representation for him. Remember, when, even when the people did not follow the word of God, what did God do? God sent prophets. So the prophets are representing him on the earth. Now we are representing as the church, the people that are called out of the world into his marvelous light, we are now the priests that he's talking about. And what we do, we go to him for others, okay? So let's get our roles correct so we all know what we're supposed to be doing. This is our function and our functionality that we're supposed to have when we consider what God has done for us. Okay, but it says that we are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Now, what is different from this when it says a royal priesthood, which contradicts something in the Old Testament? What is unique about this? A royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, let me ask you guys a question. In the Old Testament, did they ever mix the priesthood and the king? Because you got to be no. royalty in order to be a thing. They never did that. Matter of fact, you remember King Uzziah? King Uzziah actually was a, was a holy king, he was a, he was a righteous king. He did the plan of God. He followed the word of God. But when he went and poured incense on the altar, he, the God, God smite him with leprosy. And he took the rest of his time out of the kingdom, basically because he couldn't rule. Well, remember, according to, according to the, the Jewish law, when you became a leper, you had to, be, you had to separate yourself from society. You could not live in with the people. So they basically he was living in seclusion the rest of his life because he was smoked with leprosy. Why was he smoke? Because he took on the role of the priest. So why did God smite him with leprosy though? Because when we come to the New Testament, the Apostle Peter is saying that we are a royal priesthood.
2: What's the difference? One is under the um well. The one is under kingdom of God, which is Jesus as our king, and the other one is under the worldly kingdom.
1: Now, look, Christ was not yet given, okay? And so that's why they never, when you look at, If you look at from time and how God was dealing with men the whole time, he always has a format. And so when King Uzziah did what he did, he was trying to fast forward the plan of God and elevate himself that the only person who can take that role is Jesus. The only person who can make this a royal priesthood is Jesus. Because why? He's a priest after the Order of Melchizedek forever. So he's the only one who can do that. Just like Moses in the desert when he struck the rock, when he was supposed to talk to it, he was messing with Jesus. And when you mess with Jesus, God, it gets his attention. And like I said before, if you read I'm not going to do it. If you go to Second Chronicles, the 26th chapter, and go to King, Second uh, King, uh, Kings, the 15th chapter, in there, I tell you about King Uz- Uzziah, and he actually was a good king. And the, and the, the nation of Israel prospered underneath him, because he did a lot of stuff. He, was, he, he believed in fidelity to Yahweh, the, the true and living God. But he did one thing wrong when he took on the role of the priest, because only Christ could take on the priest the role of the priest and the king together, which is what we are doing, but Christ has already given He's a high priest, and we told and we said it before, when he comes back, he's coming back as a king. Now, all those things that, he's, that, that Christ is, he's still, he's still those things. It's just that in certain times, he's in certain positions where he's doing certain things for the betterment of others, not himself. Because he's making intercession, not for himself, but for us. So this is the difference, and this is why we should be extremely Humble, and we should be extremely thankful, and we should be, we should be extra, extra careful to give God praise because of Jesus and where the position, because when we're inside him, when we're when we linked up with him, when we yoke with him, we get certain things that only he's entitled to. And they did not have this ability in the Old Testament. Okay? Now, let's go to the next question. What does the Bible say about or does it support equality since God is always good? Okay? And we, we answered this today. we see that it seems that the entire world wants equality and thinks to, to have equal output. So we keep hearing this about equal output. The only thing is, is this supported by Scripture? To find the answer, let's consider the scriptures and not our own opinion in this matter. Because I like got a lot of Christians, they want to give you their opinion when they should be giving you a scripture. If you believe something, you should be able to go to scripture and say, The reason why I believe what I believe is because of this scripture. Now, if you got the scripture wrong, you're going to get the interpretation of it wrong. Okay? But let's go to Matthew 25 and 14. Let's go to Matthew, the twenty-fifth chapter, the fourteenth verse. All right, we there? Let me know when you're there, so I know we can uh, we can move. Matthew twenty-five and uh, fourteen, I believe. Twenty five fourteen yes. So Matthew, 25th chapter, and beginning around the 14th verse, I believe.
2: I'm there. Okay, I'm there. Okay, what did it say? For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Okay, go ahead. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Okay,
1: I'm not going to have you read the rest of that, but I just want you to see that something was given. And what is talents anyway? What is talents? When the Bible says talents, what are they talking about? Because they're not actually talking about talent.
2: Money isn't that money. It's money.
1: Okay? So so when 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 he's giving up these amounts, you notice he didn't give everybody the same amount. He said according to every man according to his several abilities. So God is giving you certain abilities and He's gonna give you certain resources for you to use. But it's not equal. The world talks about this equality stuff, and it's not biblical at all. And what they're really talking about anyway is they want, they want the ability to say what's equal. Mm-hmm. They really don't care about equality. They care about them being the people that issuing out the equality so they can give it out how they want to give it. But it's not biblical, and we should call that as such. When we hear all this nonsense we should you know that's directly from the devil because it's not from the Bible. Alright? Now let's go to Matthew the thirteenth chapter. We stay in Matthew. Matthew the thirteenth chapter, the twenty third verse. I'm there. Okay, what did it say?
2: says and he spake many things unto them in terrible saying behold a a sewer went
1: forth
2: a to sewer sew. oh sewer forth to the sew.
1: Hey, CJ can you hear me? Yes sir are you reading
2: Matthew thirteen twenty three? I
1: thought
2: you said three. No, Matthew thirteen twenty three. That says, "That he that reacheth in into the good ground, he is that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also then be, beneath truth and bring it forth some of hundreds, hundreds of hundredfold." Some Okay,
1: now this is a parable of the sower, and he's talking about the people who received the seed and understood it. Because if you don't, if you hear the word and you don't understand the word, how can you apply the word? The answer is you cannot. So these are the people that received this seed of God, the word of God, on good ground. Look what it says, though. It says. Which also bear fruit. They go that word again, and bring forth. They so they brought forth something. What did they bring forth? Some hundred, some sixty, and then some thirty. The out the outputs are not the same. And oh, by the way, did you notice? Did he ask for the outputs to be the same? No. No,
2: because
1: he doesn't say anything is wrong with the people that brought forth 60 percent or 30 percent. Because if you go back to what he says in, 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 um, in Matthew, the one we just read in, in the 25th verse, he says he only gives a certain amount of talent or he only gave a certain amount of talent and then a certain amount of ability. that match the talent or the resources, you could call it. But he's not complaining with the output. The only people doing that, saying they're going to control output, is an evil generation. Because first of all, they're lying because you cannot control output. Did you know that? If you give, if you give, if you line up 10 people in a row, and you give all those people $1,000, and you come back a month later, do you know they're not going to have an equal amount of uh, uh, thousands? Their, their money will not be equal when you come back. Right. Because you, you can't control output, And nor should you control inputs because it's by God who controls this. Okay? And then one other verse we want to look at. Go to Romans 12 and 3. Romans 12 and 3. Let's go to Romans 12 and 3 and let me know when you're there. I'm there. Romans 12 and 3 says what?
2: For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Okay, God
1: has given everybody a measure of faith.
2: A measure
1: of faith, or it says the measure of faith. So there is no excuses for when we have something to do and then we're worried about the output. We're worried about, oh, you know, that person over there is doing tremendously well, and I'm not doing his, his thing. Well, God has determined that. So if you got a problem with that, well, you should be really consulting with God. And you could ask him, if you get to heaven, why he did what he did. And I don't know. If you question God a little too much, I don't know that you're going to make it there. Okay? The only thing that the Bible teaches about equality, because I want to get you the other side of the coin here, is that we are we're created as equals, okay? We are sinners equally. When it comes to Jesus, the same way that we operate, we're going to be judged one day. That's equality. That's what's equal. But this is where the comparison stops. Because even in the judgment, We're going to be judged differently. The people who have the word of God and are responsible for delivering are going to be judged more severely than those who do not. You're going to read what the Bible says about people who are teachers of the word. They're going to have a stricter judgment on them than those people who are not. And there's a lot of people proclaiming that they are supposed to be delivering the word of God. But they're going to be judged differently. And when you get into heaven, did you understand that heaven's going to have echelons and hierarchies? They ain't going to be, everybody ain't going to be on the same, everybody's going to be in heaven equally. But it's clear. When you go and read Revelation, doesn't it say that there's 24 elders that, that that have been awarded crowns because of something they did? It's it didn't sit. Everybody was part of the 24 elders. Okay? So we got to understand that concept. That concept is widely spewed um, out there and is not biblical. God, whenever he, he gives you, for you to be faithful with it, because that's what he's going to measure you against, the faithfulness by what he has given you. And when, you, when you're looking at another man saying that, that man is the reason why... Or that woman is the reason why you can't succeed, you are denying what Christ has given what God has given you. And you will be judged accordingly according to the scripture. Okay? Our next thing, we gotta hurry up, because we got only about 30 minutes left. Okay, so the next thing it says, we as humans have good, but our good does not measure up. To God is why we and this is why we need Christ as a savior. Okay? And this is all this thing is it begs for an a, an explanation, an explanation of, of source. And, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast forward through this, and I'm going to give you guys what I have, okay? It says in Mark 10, 17, and when he had gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what should I do that I inherit eternal life? In 18 it says, and Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God, okay? And we talked about this in our devotion that we said that this guy is calling him a good master or good teacher or rabbi, whatever you want to say there, but he's not saying he's God. Jesus makes that point that you're calling me good, and you can never call anybody good except for God because he's the only one good, and what he's really saying is, that you're not saying I'm God. You're saying I'm a man, I'm a teacher, I'm an instructor. But you shouldn't be because I'm God. That's the only way I can be good, okay? So when we look at ourselves as being good, we really should not, okay? We really should not. Go to Romans uh, 17, 18, it says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh, to will is nothing good. For to will is Present with me, but now to perform that which is good, I I find not. Now in Romans seven, the seventh chapter, what is the Apostle Paul? I mean, the Apostle Paul explaining that whole chapter is about what? That whole chapter has a theme to it. What is the theme of Romans seven?
2: Does it rest on the law? No, Romans
1: 7, that he's explaining powerless sanctification. So that's why he says there is nothing good in this flesh because he said he had to learn that there was nothing good in it. He was trying to do the will of God through the flesh, which is what most people do when they first come to God. Why? Because that's what they know. They're going back to what they know. But that's why you have to let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you because the Holy Spirit is going to lead you in a different direction where you're not walking by sight. You're walking by faith. And that's why people who don't understand Romans, because they talk about, oh, see, the Apostle Paul said, I sin sometimes. No, he's telling you about how he went through these growing pains and he had to learn how to lead, let the Spirit lead him. I'm telling you right now, when you first become a Christian, you're not going to know how to let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you. You're not. Because you're not used to it. That's why you must grow in grace. If you do not, you're going to go back and forth, allowing the old man that you can keep resurrecting, you keep rebirthing him. Okay, and that's why he says, but how to perform these things that he really wanted to perform, he could not find it because he was not being led by the Spirit. He would not learned how to let the Spirit take control. And you've got to remember, the Apostle Paul probably had at least two doctorate degrees, at least that. And he, he, was a, he was an intellectual giant when it comes down to actually religious things, and that's why he was persecuting the Christians. Because Jesus came teaching against religion, he did not te- came teaching religion he kept teach he kept-, he kept he kept he came teaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand okay and then two other scriptures we're going to use and what have you isaiah fifty three six says all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all and, and in in and in in and in um and Isaiah, Isaiah is always presenting Jesus, okay? The writing of Isaiah, when he's talking about him, he's talking about Christ. And he's talking about him being presented as the lamb, the sacrifice from the foundation of the earth. And then Ephesians 2 and 80 says, for by grace he is saved through faith and not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man, that less any man uh, should boast. And we're going to go back into that a little later, um, but but all this is basically under when we think we have some good in us, we really shouldn't think that because that's, that's the way that you will not get to God by saying you've got good in you. Okay, the next one is what is the only way to approach God? Okay, you must come with a humble heart, all right? Never in pride. And today many Christians, so-called Christians, are full of pride and they think they can approach God, but you cannot. In John four twenty four says God is the spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in the spirit and in truth. It means I must take off this this persona when I come to God. Go to Second Corinthians three and twelve. Go to Second Corinthians three to twelve real quick and then we gotta go. We gotta move on. Second Corinthians three and twelve. In second Corinthians three and twelve it says seeing that we have such hope. We use great plainness of speech. Verse 13 says, not as Moses, when he put on a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end that which is abolished. Okay? Moses went up to the mountain to get uh, up to the um, Mount Sinai and receive the the law from God. And when he was in the presence, when he came back, his face glowed. But as he walked among men, it dissipated. It was going away. It was diminishing. And so he put a veil because he did not want the people to see that. Well, the Bible says when you come before God, you've got to take that veil off your face, which means you've got to be real with God. If you come to God with this soul prayer that you heard and you same thing you recite every time, you've not taken the veil off. He wanna he wants you to call sin, sin. He wants you to call wrong, wrong. He wants you to call whatever you've done wrong in your life proclaiming as you've done wrong. Don't try to say that, oh, you know, everything is hunky-durry and all this stuff like that. That's not what he means, okay? All right? And so what is the vehicle used to access the power of God? Okay, the answer is faith, and the method is prayer, okay, which must be done in the spirit. This is why the Bible says that it's impossible to please him without faith. The good news is that you can only, you only need a little bit of faith to go a long way, according to Jesus. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching there with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. If you consider yourself a saint, that is a a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ, whatever you want to call yourself, a disciple, you can call yourself a prophet, even though there is no more prophets, the the prophetship is closed, the apostolic is closed, but you can call yourself an apostle or prophet, whatever. Okay? But if you'll follow and believe in Christ, you should be praying in the spirit. Look what it says in Matthew twenty six forty one. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is the spirit indeed is willing to but the flesh is weak. What does Jesus mean by that when he says that? When he says that the Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What does he mean by that?
2: What scripture is that again. Can you ask Matthew 26.
1: Matthew 26 and 41. I believe if I have that right. But what did he mean by the flesh is? I mean, the spirit is willing, but the flesh
2: is weak. I I think it means that. Well, I oh, let me go to the Bible. So the spirit indeed
1: is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, we talked so, about this before.
2: Does it mean that the spirit is willing to be in equal, like equal with God and do biblical stuff, but since the flesh is born into sin, it's never going to be exactly willing and to do good stuff?
1: Okay, it can't. Okay, remember that, that your flesh can, you cannot teach your flesh to obey the will of God, okay? You can't. It's impossible. And that's why people that struggle mightily, many times what they're struggling is with the flesh. They're trying to take their flesh and convert it to do the things of God. But the spirit which has been implanted in you is the thing that's going to actually, that's willing to follow God because it's the only thing can. In your flesh, you can follow God all you want to, but you won't be following him. Now it's a trick of the devil to make you believe that. Okay? So the flesh is always going to be weak because it's going to go back to what it is. And you're absolutely right, CJ. That's what it means. It means I'm born in sin, so therefore my flesh is always going to want to do fleshy things. Never ever will you wake up a time in this body and it be, hey, you know what? I'm going to do the things of Christ. no. The only thing that can do, the only thing inside you must be the spirit that's planted in seed form that's going to do the things of Christ in the will of God, okay? Let's make sure we understand that so we don't go out thinking that we're going to convert the flesh like a lot of people are doing. They're trying to convert, and it's not going to work, okay? Where or what is the power of God, all right? And I'm going to fly through this real quick also because i got to get to Genesis, okay? In in Zechariah 4 and 6, it says, Then he answered and spake unto me, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, said the Lord of hosts. Now, if you understand what that's talking about, there was a task God gave them, and he was trying to tell them that you're not going to do it by your might, that is, your your bronze, okay? You're not going to do it by physical force, and you're not going to do it by mental force. You can be an intellectual giant and have a big brain that's great among men, but you will not be able to do the things of God except by his spirit. In Ephesians 4, I mean Ephesians 2 and 8, we had this before. For by grace he is saved through faith, not of yourself, that is the gift of God, not of works, that any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he has said for which which God has before ordained, that we should walk in them. Okay, those good works are created because we, if we understand that we're his masterpiece, that's what that work means. But once again, though, it's talking about the, the, when it talks about the, the power of God, it's talking about the grace that God has given you because you're now in Christ Jesus. And believe it or not, Jesus is the grace that has the power. Remember, the Bible says he's full of grace. That's why Jesus said, Without me, you can do nothing. You'll be just like a little branch up there hanging. You won't get any power. Okay? So now that we're saved through grace, we don't have to worry about the works of the flesh. Okay? We understand that when we look at what it is that we're supposed to be doing, that the power center is going to be from the grace of God. And what that grace is that he gave us is Christ. That's our centerpiece. If you go back to, for example, when we talked about how I break a stronghold, is what? It's remembering my position in Christ. That's why I don't understand how the Christian nation and in, in churches all over this world are teaching that there's a different power base. They say, oh, the power is in, the, in, 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 in numbers. Power is not in numbers. Then not God say that he's going to confound the numbers? He says, if, you, if you're in me, you can have a small number and you can do great things. I don't know why we're attracted to those numbers. Those numbers mean nothing unless God is attached to it. I mean, didn't God tell um, Gideon um, to, to, to dwindle down his army? He went from 30,000 to three hundred. Because God don't need numbers. We do. Alright? So now let's go into let's go into Genesis. We stopped off at the remainder of our time, which is about 15 minutes. I'm going to spend in Genesis 3. Okay? So let's go to Genesis 3. And we started off last time, or where we stopped off at was we had just looked at the woman being out of place. Okay? Because she's having a conversation, which is an illegitimate conversation, with the serpent, which is being influenced by the devil himself. And what she's doing is absolutely an abomination. Okay? Excuse me, guys? So let's
2: pick up, huh? Did we skip a question? Did we go? Why is yeah, I,
1: I'm not going to do, do that question. I'm going to do oh, okay. it. Okay, I'll do it next time, if God be willing. So we go into to Genesis 4 is where we're going to pick up at. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Okay, this is where we left off at. Once again, we're going to pick up where, where we see Eve is out of place because she is holding a conversation with the serpent, and then go on to make decisions for the family without the counsel of God. She is doing so, and doing so, She's placing her needs above the needs of the family because God instructed them on how the family should run. Since she never changed, since God has never changed that, it means today that God is still the authority on how the family should be operating. Instead, we believe that we know better than God, even though he's the one who established the family. Therefore, it is easy to see that he should be the only authority on how the family should run smoothly. We have moved so far away from this today that we should, we should know and look and believe that our way is better. Why do we believe that? It's because if you look around and everybody's doing it, and, and it don't matter how many people are doing it, but if you look around and you see anybody doing it, as a Christian, you should question, should you be doing it? The chances are very great that if you are being led by the Spirit, you will not engage in the same type of behavior as the world. We speak on this previously, that women in general have stepped down. Did you know whenever you, step, when you, whenever you move out of a position that God puts you in, is a step down. It's never a step up, ever. God put women as a help meet, which we, we describe back in Genesis 2. Or was it one? Previously, we we previously discussed what it means to be able to help me. That was the position God put women in. Today, women are out of that position, and they're, they're happily going to do what they want to do because the world is telling them it's okay to do it. The tragic part about it is that same concept is leaked into the church because the church is doing the exact same thing. It's teaching that you could do too. You can follow what the Word of God says, and you can follow what you want to get done. Now, that is not biblical at all. In 1 Corinthians 10, 21, it says, Ye, that's all of you, cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of the devils. Don't let anybody tell you that you can. It's a lie. When you as a father, you as a mother, you as a husband, you as a wife, you as a daughter, you as a son, whatever your position is, when you step out of the role that God has put you in, it's a step down. It's never a step up. The only person that's going to tell you to step up is the evil one. The devil's going to tell you, let me tell you what this step up. Isn't that what he promised Adam and Eve? When you eat the fruit, it's going to be a step up, man you're going to be as God. Because look what it says in verse 5. For God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God, knowing good and evil. Okay? Once again, we see that the devil is giving out half-truths, which is a whole lie. He did this when he was talking about you should not surely die, And again, when he's saying that they will become as God. This is only partially true, and always the part he's leaving out is the most important part. If you recall, when Satan tempted Christ in the wilderness, he did the same thing. As a matter of fact, if you look at the temptation of Jesus, that's in Matthew 4, you'll see the same order as he did with Eve in the garden. The exact same order. You go and read it in Matthew 4. Not now, on your own time. But it's the exact same order. Now, verse 6 says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took all the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, we're going to stay here for the rest of the time. We ain't going to go the Father i got some other notes, but I won't be able to get to it. Okay, so let's stop here and let's acknowledge what is going on. Now, if we are to understand that none of this would have been possible unless Eve would have believed the lie for herself. Everything that Satan is presenting to her is against the will of God. But it does not make sense until she adopts the idea as coming from herself instead of the devil. There is no difference. Today, we're doing the exact same thing. The exact same thing. We are allowing the devil to control the conversation with God. We're allowing the devil to influence our mind, and what he's doing, he is actually getting us to believe a lie as the truth. Remember, we said that is that is the um, we said that is the uh, the beginning of a stronghold is believing a lie as the truth. matter of fact, go to go to second corinthians eleven three go to second corinthians eleven three. I'm there. Okay. First of all, let's talk about real quick. Let's talk about real quick. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the people that are at Corinth, correct? Uh Uh-huh, yes. Okay. He's writing this letter. This is his second letter he's writing to them. But but the people at Corinth are what we would call worldly Christians. Babes in Christ. Okay? Now, one of the things he's talking about, look what he says in verse 3. Who said they were there? Go ahead and read verse 3.
2: Me. Okay, here we go. But I say least by any means, or less by any means, as a serpent begaled, Eve drew through his subtlety. So your mind. Subtly, so your mind should be corrupted from the simp- simp- oh. simplicity simplicity so repeat that simplicity simplicity that is in Christ okay
1: so this letter he's writing now okay and he's trying to tell these people something. He's saying, look, I fear that the same thing that happened to Eve is happening to you guys. So what happened to Eve? The Satan, Satan fatted with lies. Okay, well, excuse me, let me go back. Satan started a conversation that was based on half-truths which are lies, they had the conversation until Eve adopted the lie, and then Eve actually went through, which was really simple. What does he mean from the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus? They could they do everything in the garden except for one thing. You can't get no more simpler than that. There was one thing that God gave them a commandment that they could not do. And the devil's whole conversation was around not all the other un, unmeasurable things they could have done, but the one thing that they couldn't do. Don't let the devil trick you guys to believe that you should be talking about something that God has already said you can't do because that's an unholy conversation. And it's always going to end bad. It's going to end badly because the only thing, once you start talking about it, the only thing that can happen is that that person can convert you. That's why a certain conversations and certain ideas that you should reject immediately. Somebody's trying to tell me, oh, we should talk about Christians and homosexuality. No, we shouldn't. Because God has already spoken. And unless you God, Which the last time I checked, you're not. That ain't a conversation I'm gonna have about anything, because it'd be a conversation about nothing. The only thing that could happen is my 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 viewpoint can move away from what God has said. That's the only thing that that can happen in that conversation. Just like somebody want to have a conversation about same sex marriage, dude. I'm not having a conversation about same sex marriage with you. God has already spoken, and unless you God, I don't need to talk to you about it. Because I'm a rather believe God who made marriages and instituted it, than a person who's operating in it and saying I got a better plan. I'll be foolish. See, see, following Christ is actually simple, because either you're in Him or you're not. Either you're looking for that narrow way or you're not. It's very simple. You know who makes it complex is when we have our own opinion ejected into Christianity. That's the only thing hard about Christianity. Everything else is simple. And so the Apostle Paul is telling these people right here, going back to Genesis, he's saying the same thing that happened with Eve, you're doing right now. And that's why these jokers are uh, cardinal Christians. Because when you struggle with sin, it's because you want to do both. You want to serve God, and you want to serve the world. And you cannot. You want to be friends with the world, and you want to be friends with God. You cannot. You have to choose. You have to choose. And that's what we don't want to do. We don't want to choose because we don't want to offend people. we want to be liked by the masses. Where is Scripture that says you're going to be liked? Because I can find where it says you're not going to be liked. I can find what it says. You're going to be persecuted for your belief if you stand up for what Christ has said. But most Christians don't stand up for what Christ says, and therefore, there is no conflict. There is no conflict. So let me finish this up, though, and then we'll be done. Okay? So instead of her rejecting this conversation altogether, she listens to this, Thing with the devil is telling her. She's actually playing along with him, and then she adopts that lie, and therefore, once she adopts it, she believes it as the truth, and therefore she do it. Okay. Also, we should note that this is the basis of establishing a thronehold. The same way the devil does presently is the same thing he did in the past. If you recall, we said that when we pray, it should be that we not only pray for the present in the future, but we should pray for the release of the past iniquities because if we do not, it has not gone anywhere, okay? That's what we talked about. We should pray for our forefathers or whatever the people that came before us. We should pray for the iniquity, okay? I'm not trying to say we're going to pray for them to come back from the grave or whatever it is, things we could talk about, but what we're praying for is we're saying, that, hey, we understand that in in what God has established, that there may be some things that they did wrong. Just like it's things if you have trouble in your life and you don't understand where that's coming from, it's from the iniquity of the past. You've not addressed it. It's still there. Even though the, the old man is killing his ways, you allow certain strong points to remain, and they're going to flare up from time to time. That's not God's desire for you. Does that man give him any glory for you to be a new person and then go back to operating in the old man again. That's just like having, a, that's like having a new car, and then you say, I don't want to drive the new car. I want to go drive this unreliable car that's going to put me down. It's not good for anything. Half of the stuff don't work on it, but I still want to get in it anyway. That makes no sense. So that's what we do. That's what we're doing. And it's a design by the evil one. Because we do not acknowledge him. Remember, we talked about it before. The devil keeps trying to make himself seem minimal because why? He wants, he wants you to believe that he's not real. Therefore, it's not a big thing to sin because you really, you're just sort of not doing right. It's not really sin. It's a medium ground. There is no medium ground. Not when it comes to God and the Word of God. Okay? What questions do we have?
2: I have a question. Yeah, go. Basically, it's not long, it's just so basically what happened is Adam not Adam, Eve, she lost her place in God because she was talking to the serpent slash devil. Okay,
1: that's a question or is that a comment?
2: It's a question, is that right?
1: Uh did she lose her place? Uh no. What she's doing though. She's setting everything up that happens afterwards. Because what the, the Bible didn't say, even though she's, she's talking with the servant, she's out of position from what God called. They did not sin against God until what happened, until they actually ate the fruit. Because we're going to go into that next time, too, about what happened, God be willing. But... But yeah, she could have cut that conversation off and she could have said, Hey, look, I'm not talking about this no more. What you're talking about is crazy, dude. She could have easily have done that at any time. Just like did you know when Judas betrayed Christ, you know, he could have come back and and even though he even though he uh had already um he'd already basically told them where Jesus was at and how he was going to single them. You know, he still had a a chance to get right with God. He chose not to. He chose not to. Jesus called him a friend. And he knew what he was going to do. So there was always a chance for even Judas to come clean. But just like with Adam and Eve, we're going to find out, instead of them coming clean, what did they do? They try to hide. And that's the thing that we've got to make sure we do not do. Okay? What other questions do we have? None? Okay. If we have none, then what are we going to do? We're going to end the uh, recording with a prayer. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to come take part in your word. We ask always, as always, that you allow us not just to be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Everywhere we go and everything we do, that you will get the glory and the honor. And then we understand that we are to be our brother's keepers. Everywhere we go, we should understand that we are responsible for others and the welfare of others, that we have been tasked with allowing the glory of God to shine through us as we are the light of the world. We are lights in Jesus. Now, it's his authority. That we pray that when we leave here, that we would go and do your work that you've called us to. And we ask all these things in his precious name we pray. Thank God. Amen. you,
2: man.
0: Amen. Hello, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Uh, podcast today. Uh, We really appreciate it. We hope that there was something said that would have you have a deeper walk with Jesus and your knowledge of God has been expanded based off of the Word of God. Um, Once again, this is Craig from Leading the Leaders. If you want to contact us about any of the uh, subject matter on this uh, podcast, you can do so by uh, looking us up on the web at leadingleadersllc.net what have you and you can find many uh things that you can enhance your leadership uh also if you want to uh find out information or material that we covered during the podcast once again we thank you for listening uh god bless